Long History, a journal of the first voyage of Vasco da Gama, part 14, a westerner in India. Hello everyone and welcome to the latest episode of Long History. We're on to episode 14 now of a 15-part series about Vasco da Gama's first voyage to India. We've already looked at how Vasco da Gama was one of the three most famous explorers from the Age of Exploration, with Magellan heading the first voyage around the world, and Columbus also counting amongst those three most famous explorers. Now with only one episode to go in this series, don't forget to subscribe to be informed of when the next episode is released. And also, in the meantime, don't forget to explore Long History. There's lots to explore now, from Francis Drake to Sir Walter Raleigh, many of the most famous names in history. As the previous episode in this series ended, however, da Gama was off the southwest coast of India. Eventually, after a disagreement with the local leaders which led to some of the Portuguese men being held prisoner, da Gama has set off on his journey home. The suspicions, however, continue as the Portuguese men head up the Indian coast. So, this is a journal of the first voyage of Vasco da Gama, part 14, a westerner in India. Anjadeva, September the 20th to October the 5th. That same night, with a land breeze, we made sail and pursued our route. On the following Thursday, the 20th of the month, we came to a hilly country, very beautiful and salubrious, close to which there were six small islands. There we anchored, near the land, and launched a boat to take in water and wood to last us during our voyage across the gulf, which we hoped to accomplish, if the wind favoured us. On landing we met a young man who pointed out to us a spring of excellent water rising between two hills on the bank of a river. The Captain Major gave this man a cap and asked whether he was a Moor or a Christian. The man said he was a Christian, and when told that we too were Christians, he was much pleased. On the following day, an Almadia came to us with four men, who brought gourds and cucumbers. The Captain Major asked whether cinnamon, ginger, or any other spices were to be found in this country. They said there was plenty of cinnamon, but no other kind of spice. The Captain at once sent two men with them to the mainland to bring him a sample and they were taken to a wood where a large number of trees yielding cinnamon were growing, and they cut off two big branches with their foliage. When we went in our boats to fetch water, we met these two men with their cinnamon branches, and they were accompanied by about twenty others, who brought the captain fowls, cow milk and gourds. They asked the captain to send these two men along with them, as there was much dry cinnamon not far off, which they would show them, and of which they would bring samples. Having taken in water, we returned to the ships, and these men promised to come on the ensuing day to bring a present of cows, pigs and fowls. Early on the next morning, we observed two vessels close to the land, about two leagues off, but took no further notice of them. We cut wood whilst waiting for the tide to enable us to enter the river to take in water, and being thus engaged, it struck the captain that these vessels were larger than he had thought at first. He therefore ordered us into the boats as soon as we had eaten, and sent us to find out whether these vessels belonged to Moors or Christians. After his return on board, the captain major ordered a mariner to go aloft and look out for vessels, and this man reported that out in the open sea, and at a distance of about six leagues, 
he saw eight vessels becalmed. The captain, when he heard this, at once gave orders to sink these vessels. They, as soon as they felt the breeze, put the helm hoard a lee, and when they were abreast of us, at a distance of a couple of leagues, and we thought they might discover us, we made for them. When they saw us coming, they bore away for the land. One of them being disabled, owing to her helm breaking, the men in her made their escape in the boat, which they dragged astern, and reached the land in safety. We, who were nearest to that vessel, at once boarded her, but found nothing in her except provisions, coconuts, four joys of palm sugar, and arms, all the rest being sand used as ballast. The seven other vessels grounded, and we fired upon them from our boats. On the following morning, whilst at anchor, seven men in a boat visited us, and they told us that these vessels had come from Calicut in search of us, and that if they had succeeded in taking us we should have been killed. On the following morning, having left this place, we anchored at a distance of two bombard shots from the place at which we had been at first, and close to an island, where we had been told that water would be found. The Captain Major at once sent Nicolau Coelho in an armed boat in search for this watering place. He came there upon the ruins of a large stone church, which had been destroyed by the Moors, with the exception of a chapel which had been roofed with straw. This, at least, was told us by the natives of the country, who prayed there to three black stones which stood in the middle of the chapel. Beside this church we discovered a tank of the same workmanship as the church itself, that is, built of hewn stone, from which we took as much water as we needed. Another tank, of large size and four fathoms deep, occupied the highest part of the island. On the beach, in front of the church, we careened the burial and the ship of the Captain Major. The Raphael was not drawn up on the beach, on account of difficulties which will be referred to further on. Being one day in the burial, which was drawn up on the beach, there approached two large boats, or fusters, crowded with people. They rowed to the sound of drums and bagpipes, and displayed flags at the masthead. Five other boats remained on the coast for their protection. As they came nearer, we asked the people whom we had with us who they were. They told us not to allow them to come on board, as they were robbers who would seize us if they could. The people of this country, they said, carried arms and boarded vessels as if they came as friends, and, having succeeded and feeling strong enough, they laid hands upon them. For this reason they were fired upon from the Raphael and the Captain Major's ship as soon as they came within range of our bombards. They began to shout Tambaram, which meant that they were Christians, for the Christians of India call God Tambaram. When they found that we took no notice of this, they fled towards the land. Nicolau Coelho pursued them for a short distance, when he was recalled by a signal flag on the ship of the Captain Major. On the following day, whilst the captain and many of our people were on land, careening the burio, there arrived two small boats, with a dozen well-dressed men in them, who brought a bundle of sugarcane as a present for the captain major. After they had landed, they asked permission to see the ships. The captain thought they were spies and grew angry. Just then, two other boats, with as many people, made their appearance, but those who had come first... Seeing that the captain was not favourably disposed towards them, 
warned these newcomers not to land, but to turn back. They, too, re-embarked at once and went away. Whilst the ship of the Captain Major was being careened, there arrived a man about forty years of age who spoke Venetian well. He was dressed in linen, wore a fine tuca on his head and a sword in his belt. He had no sooner landed than he embraced the Captain Major and the captains and said that he was a Christian from the West who had come to this country in early youth, that he was now in the service of a Moorish lord who could muster forty thousand horsemen, that he, too, had become a Moor, although at heart still a Christian. He said that, being one day at his master's house, news was brought that men had arrived at Calicut, whose speech none could understand, and who were wholly clad. That when he heard this, he said that these strangers must be Franks, for this is the name by which we are known in these parts. He then begged permission of his master to be allowed to visit us, saying that a refusal would cause him to die of sorrow. His master, thereupon, had told him to go, and tell us that we might have anything in his country which suited us, including ships and provisions, and that, if we desired to remain permanently, it would give him much pleasure. When the captain had cordially thanked him for these offers, which appeared to him to have been made in good faith, our visitor asked as a favour that a cheese be given him, which he desired to take to one of his companions who had remained on the mainland, as a token that all had gone well. The captain ordered a cheese and two soft loaves to be given to him. He remained on the island, talking so much and about so many things that at times he contradicted himself. Paolo da Gama, in the meanwhile, had sought the Christians who had come with this visitor and asked who he was. They said he was a pirate who had come to attack us and that his ships, with many people in them, had remained on the coast. Knowing this much and conjecturing the rest, we seized him, took him to the vessel drawn up on the beach and there began to thrash him in order to make him confess whether he was really a pirate or what was the object with which he had come to us. He then told us he was well aware that the whole country was ill-disposed towards us and that numbers of armed men were around, hidden within the creeks, but that they would not for the present venture to attack us as they were expecting some forty vessels which were being armed to pursue us. He added that he did not know when they would be ready to attack us. As to himself, he said nothing except what he had said at first. Afterwards, he was questioned three or four times, and although he did not definitely say so, we understood from his gestures that he had come to see the ships so that he might know what sort of people we were and how we were armed. At this island we remained twelve days, eating much fish, which was brought for sale from the mainland, as also many pumpkins and cucumbers. They also brought us boatloads of green cinnamon wood with the leaves still on, when our ships had been careened and we had taken in as much water as we needed and had broken up the vessel which we had captured, we took our departure. This happened on Friday, October the 5th. So the only thing that's clear as this episode ends is that da Gama and his men have no idea who to trust, especially so far away from home. This Venetian-speaking man says he's a Westerner, 
but he could also be a potential pirate. It's clear that despite the rigorous interrogation, Dagama just doesn't know what to believe. So that's it for the 14th part of a journal of the first voyage of Vasco da Gama. There's only one episode to go now. So thank you for listening and goodbye.